Welcome everybody to another episode of Conversations with Annie and Kate. Hello, Annie. Hey, Kate, how are you doing? And tonight, our guest is Kerry Chikorovsky. Hi, Kerry. Hi, Annie. Hi, Kate. Thank you for inviting me. And I'm just going to do a bit of an introduction because um, Kerry Chikorovsky was one of the women in leadership that I saw uh, in on the stage, world stage, as I was growing up. So she went to my old school. Uh, she's a lawyer and um, she was the, uh, a member of parliament for the Liberal seat of Lane Cove and became the leader of the New South Wales Liberal Party. And after she left politics, she's a lobbyist, political commentator and ambassador for several charities and an all round interesting woman. So welcome, Kerry. And thank you for that lovely introduction. I'm, <laughs> I'm overwhelmed. <laughs> So did you, Carrie, did you know that you and Kate went to the same school? No, I didn't. I didn't. Um, but let me say, uh, it was a fabulous school when I was there. It's one of the reasons why I ended up doing the things that I did. And I'm sure it still is. Although having said that, my daughter, um, she went from until year 10 and then she decided she didn't want to go to a single sex girl schools anymore, having been in the States for six months at a co-ed high school. So she finished at St Andrews. But um, she loved it while she was there, but yeah, I think it was the lure of the boys that, uh, or the co-ed that attracted her to St Andrews. There boys, is something, yeah. there's, a, there's a balance though about the co-ed school to me. So I, I um, as my accent might belie, I'm British. Um, I went through the state, state school system in the UK. So there's, you know, other than obviously if you were going to a private school, then quite clearly you could choose whatever you want and whatever your money could pay for, but my parents couldn't afford that. And the idea of going to a school that didn't have boys and girls together would just be very foreign to me. Yeah. And I think there's a lot of, you know, given what's been going on recently, there's probably a lot of, you know, good reasons to actually go to co-ed. But that's, that's another discussion and a much longer discussion for another day. All right. So, Annie, do you want to ask one of our first icebreaker questions? I will. So, Kerry, this is my favourite one. And it's, you could go back to your younger self and you can choose whatever age that would be. Uh, if you could go back to your younger self and give some advice, what sort of advice would you have? Probably to be a little bit more open uh, when I was in the leadership position, be prepared to admit that I ha wasn't coping as well as I needed to cope, um, not being the person who is always the one who has to fix things and therefore has to be stoic on all occasions. And that applied in the leadership role, but it's applied pretty well all my life. Because I'm the eldest of four girls, I kind of always thought it was my role to make sure everything was okay. So, you know, when, when my mum died, for example, I had to make sure my dad was okay. When I got divorced, I had to make sure my kids were okay. When I was in the leadership I had to be okay without getting any help from anybody else because that was what I did. I always was, you know, the person who had to make things okay. And I think, you know, in hindsight, the best advice I could give my uh, younger self is admit when you need some help and go for it because I never really did and it was only later in life that I started to do that. Guys. Really similar advice that a lot of people seem to give. And I, I think we're, women don't realise until we get older that we were so hard on ourselves when we were young. Oh, totally, totally. I mean, you know, and it's, you know, the other the bit of advice I give uh, lots of women when I speak to them is that, you know, have more confidence in yourself. 
and believe you can do things. Don't believe because you haven't done it before, you know, you, you shouldn't have a go at it now. I never had that problem, let me tell you. I was always very confident. <laughs> I was always prepared to have a go. Um, but, yeah, I think, you know, a lot for a lot of women and hopefully less so now than when I was growing up and when I was going through what I went through because I think young women today, they strike me as being more confident these days. It's interesting. Okay. I did some things with uh, some young folks from a, a local um, high school and everybody was saying that I was talking about the normative culture when you leave and it's sexist. Workplaces are sexist and stuff. They said, oh, no, we won't be like that. We'll, we're all very egalitarian. And I was like, oh, I'm not sure. <laughs> well, I had that conversation in 1993. I was in New York and I met with the what was then the largest um, business women's group in the States. And I said to them, you know, how do you recruit members? And I said, do you get them when they're coming straight out of college? And they went, no, when they come straight out of college, they think that they uh, that they own the world and the world will be completely fair to them. We usually get them about seven or eight years later. <laughs> I went, yeah, that makes sense. So I, I'm gonna I'm gonna ask my question is what is the one tool that you always go to and it could be anything it could be a power tool it could be a thinking tool it could be anything. Well, it's definitely not a power tool and it's definitely not a cooking utensil because I am well known for my inability to cook. So neither of those would qualify. I did think should I say the vacuum cleaner because you know I my house is. Yeah, not too bad. But then I realised that's because I have help. So I can't give you any of those things. I suspect the one tool that I would go to, the one that I thing that I use most often in my life, which is probably the same as a whole lot of other people now, is I'm a very big user of Google. I like to be completely informed when I'm discussing things. So I do do a lot of Google searches and I don't rely on Wikipedia. That, that is a that is a very good tool. I'm just going to go and get the noisy thing off my dog. So Kate's uh, just got a, a a little Chihuahua puppy two weeks ago. Um, oh, too cute. He's, he's adorable, but because he's so little, um, she has to put a a little bell on his collar because otherwise she might stand on him. So um, <laughs> he's adorable. That's sad. He's very adorable. And, and he's he's the smallest dog in the world, but his name is Maximus. Oh my God! Well, like you, Kate, you'd appreciate my daughter. She has three dogs. She and her family have three dogs. The first one is Gin. The second one was Tonic. So of course they had to get the third one, and it was called Andy. So they just call them Gin and Tonic. <laughs> I love that. That is lovely. I was wondering if they need another one and they call it Lime and Lemon. Yeah, no, I've told them. No more dogs. I think they've got enough. <laughs> the guy I got this from has like six of them. It's hilarious. And so that leads me to the question, what are, what are we all drinking? I'm drinking a very nice Bordeaux. Uh, uh, okay, after you, Annie. I've, I've got a gin and tonic. Have you got, what have you got floating in there, though? They look like flowers. They are, no, 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 they're actually plastic ice cubes because I used to put in um, those metal ones, you know, because I don't like to dilute my gin and tonics and I kept smashing the glass on the um, with the metal ones, so I bought plastic ones. I'm, I told you I'm pretty incompetent in the kitchen. So I've got beautiful plastic ones, so they're fruit, plastic fruit. But they work very well. They keep it very cold. I need to get me some of those. And what are you drinking, um, Annie? Can I 
Can I have a follow-up question? I'm a gin and tonic girl as well, as is Kate. What okay. gin well, is he? Well, cheers to all of you. Cheers to both of you. And we better have a <laughs> What brand of gin have you got? This, well, this one's a Hendrix. Classic, classic choice. Um, yeah, and mine classic. is a Barossa Valley Cab Sav, not a Shiraz. Oh, interesting. Yeah, no, there's a lot. Look, I must actually get into more of the Australian gin. So there's... There's, I've had one which I've run out of, which was from Joadja. That was delicious as well. But yeah, Hen, yeah Hendrix was what I'm uh, drinking at the moment. I'm loving how gin is so fashionable now and there's so many different kinds you can get. I'm, I'm really uh, enjoying that. Totally. So, so Kerry, I wanted to ask you about when, when, you were, when you got the leadership, because that wasn't a very common thing for a woman back in those days, was it? What, what year was it? Uh, so I, in 1996, I was the first female, 96 or 97, I can't remember now, 96 I think it was. Yeah, it was 96. I was the first female leader in New South Wales, first female leader of a political party in New South Wales. So it wasn't that common. We'd had a couple of deputies, but I was the first actual leader of a political party in this state. And, and how did the men take that? Well, it was the men's idea to give it to me. So... <laughs> It was the power brokers within the Liberal Party who decided that they'd have a go at um, having a woman. Um, and it was all, look, you know, it's, a very, again, another story for a, a much longer conversation, a much longer time. But um, it was a decision by the factions within the Liberal Party that they would uh, approach me, and they did. They approached me to put my hand up for leader. And it was, you know, it was... It was a, People think it was a really easy decision, but it wasn't. It was actually quite tough because we only had just over three months to an election. So it was a big ask to go in and pretty well do much at all. Um, And, you know, it is a learning experience. I mean, I would have made a much better campaigner at the next election had I stayed on as leader than I did at the one where I actually went to the election. But that's because I would have had three years experience, four years experience. Yeah, that, that's really quite interesting. And how do you think that that's really shaped the rest of your life, that experience? Has, has it shaped the rest of your life? Oh, I am the first to say I'm incredibly grateful to the Liberal Party for giving me that experience because it taught me a lot of things. Well, it taught me how to cope with uh, um, losing, which I did quite spectacularly. Um, but it also, it kind of, being leader gave me a lot of skills. It taught me how to work with people to, you know, get consensus because I'm very big on consensus and groups. Yes, I want to make a decision. I want to be, you know, part of the decision-making process. But I didn't feel as if I had to impose my view on a whole lot of people. I became very good at persuading people to my view. And you were sitting in a shadow cabinet where you had the left wing of the Liberal Party on one side all the way over to the right wing of the National Party. So getting a consensus from that group was a, you know, was sometimes difficult, but it was a very good life skill to learn. I'm not sure how you put those two. <laughs> so was it always your intention to go into politics, Kerry? I wanted to be a politician since I was 13. I came wow. back the, I came back from the States. We lived in the States when I was younger, from the time I was seven till I was 13. Um, I was fortunate enough to meet Robert Kennedy, you know, a couple of months before he was shot. Seriously impressed with that. Um, as a 12-year-old, I think I would have been, I was incredibly impressed with him um, and his ability to move a crowd. 
And I just decided that I wanted a job where I could do things for people. And the thing about being a politician is that that's what you really do. You actually do things for people. As a local member, you do it for an, on an individual or a small community basis. As a member of a government, as a member of a cabinet, you get the opportunity to do it for a lot more people. So, yep, wanted to do it from the time I was 13. Interesting. Do you think that, that many people understand what the job of a, of a member of parliament is? Oh, I don't think many people have any idea. And I, and I say this as someone who gets the opportunity to talk to a lot of people. I don't think anybody understands how hard members of parliament work. And I'm not being, you know, I'm not being self-gratifying there by saying, oh, I worked really hard and, you know, therefore people should appreciate me. It is. And, and the higher up you go, the more consuming it is. I mean, I, as the leader of the opposition, used to get up at 5.30 in the morning and finish at 11 o'clock at night. And I had to manage my work, uh, which was my work as a politician. I had to manage my local, you know, local constituency work as the local member. I had to manage my family, you know, spending time with my family. And I had to try and find some time for myself. I actually took up walking when I, um, when I was later because I just needed that, you know, quiet time just to myself have an hour a day because you don't get a lot of that in politics. When did you but do yeah. that? 4.30? Um, I used to be up at, yeah, well, because I used to have to be on the on the phone at 5.30. So what I would do is I would go 5.30 to 6. I would do all the radio stuff and then I'd go out for 45 minutes and come back and get changed to go to the office, get the kids, make sure the kids were ready for school, get them up at about, you know, 7 o'clock, make sure they had lunches um, and then, yeah, go to the office. About 11 o'clock at night. That's absurd. How is yeah, that no. even? It was crazy. And oh, but you know, I was really lucky. I got to sleep in on Sundays. I didn't have to get out of bed on Sundays until about 7 30. That well, was my it's big sleep in. Being a federal politician, because you, otherwise you're in Canberra too. And... So the decision to actually be in the state was one I took with my then husband. He married me knowing me that I knowing that I wanted to be a politician. So we sat down and talked about what that would look like when I was getting to the stage where I really wanted to be serious about it. And we decided um, federal or state, state because I did have young kids, and he thought it was important that I tried to keep some level of normality in their life. So I would be there in the morning. Um, I would try and get home before they went to bed, but often that would be go home and then go out again. So we decided state for that reason that I could actually be around, um, upper or lower, lower, of course, because I wanted to be leader. So, um, yeah. So you really thought about that really seriously about not just wanting to be a politician, but wanting to be in leadership. Oh, yeah, totally. No, I mean, with the, you know, I don't think there are too many people who go into parliament who have, as we say, don't have the leadership bat on in their backpack. They, you know, everybody thinks they can do it. Not everybody gets the opportunity, obviously. But I think, you know, lots of people will get the opportunity to be ministers. And ministers are also important in the process, very important in the process. Look at Brad Hazard in the last, you know, the last 12 months, 15 months. You know, I think that man has worked his absolute, excuse my French, arse off because, you know, he's been working, again, ridiculous hours to try and get us through COVID, as has the Premier. So, yeah, I think people who go into Parliament have ambitions to at least have some sort of leadership role, whether it's the ultimate leader or be, you know, a, a minister, or parliamentary secretary, something like that. That's really interesting. So, so what, what did you do with yourself when you, when you finished doing that? 
when I left. Mm. Um, well, that was a pretty hard decision to leave because, as I said, I'd wanted to do it for such a long time. Um, I was there for 12 years. I'd lost the leadership 12 months before I left. Um, my children at that stage wanted me to work, you know, walk out the day I lost the leadership and I wouldn't do that. I said, no, no, I can't do that to the Liberal Party and I don't believe in doing that to my electorate because, you know, I don't think it's fair to put them to a by-election. But when the election was coming around, I literally went and sat on the balcony at a house near a beach to think about whether I would stay or not. And it was a very deliberate decision on my part to leave. Um, influenced by a number of things but probably because my kids were over it they were seven and five when I went in they were 19 and 17 when I left my daughter in particular had enough of being oh you know are you that woman's daughter because when you're Chikorovsky it's a little hard to hide (laughs) so um so yeah so I think leaving deliberately thinking about leaving and going through that process of working out whether I should stay or go made it easier to go but I had to go and find something which I would be passionate about as passionate as I was about politics so I've ended up in a you know my running my own business I run a government relations firm but that's not where and I do look be fair to myself I do that pretty well I think I've got very happy clients but I love doing the the things that I do with the charities that I work with I love being involved with um with rugby and particularly the women's rugby um all those things are what drives me and I'm passionate about now and did that just all sort of fall in naturally or did you also have a plan for that as well kind of going right I'm going to do my business I'm going to have this sort of portfolio of other things that are going to keep me happy or was it just it just all naturally fell into place. Yeah, no, the, the business was certainly not a plan. What happened was I, um, after I left, I was people kept on approaching me and saying, look, could you help me with, and it was particularly with in New South Wales with the, the public service because a lot of people don't understand how bureaucrats think or work. So after about the third or fourth time that I'd helped someone, and they were friends, they were just people I knew, and one of the guys said to me, now what do I owe you? And I went, oh, no, 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 you don't have to pay me. Now, he, I, said, this is, I said, this is what I do. And he said, no, 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 Kerry, you did that when you were a member of parliament. Now you're doing it as a private citizen. So you should be, start, you should be charging a fee. And I kind of scratched my head and thought, oh, maybe there's a business in this. And that's literally, that's the least organised and least planned in anything in my entire life. And it's turned out to be a very good business. And the other things have been people have approached me to do, and I've really enjoyed. The, and I'm and I'm pretty, I'm, I'm selective about what I choose to do in terms of like uh, charity boards and and other small boards because I have to really be passionate about what the project is and, or what the you know the aim of that charity is. So I've been been approached to do a lot of things, and I you know pick and choose. And as I said, I've done about half a dozen that I'm really proud of. And rugby. And rugby is a particular one. I, um, yeah, I got involved in, I've always been a huge rugby fan and I attribute that to the fact that, um, as I said, I've got four, I've got, I've, there's four girls, so I've got three younger sisters. So there was never a situation in my house where it was, well, you know, the boys go to the footy with their father because the girls went to the footy with their father and more particularly in my case, the mother, because my mother loved her sport. So um, I'd always been a you know, big fan of rugby. And then what happened was um, Nick Farr-Jones, who is a you know, World Cup winning uh, Australian captain, asked me to get involved with the women's rugby. 
And from there, I got involved with New South Wales Community Rugby, and now I sit on the um, Waratahs board. So it's been a big part of my life. And in fact, I'm I'm very excited because I'm actually going internationally on a flight on Friday, and I'm going to New Zealand to watch the Waratahs play the Blues. And I'm so excited about the fact that I'm actually getting on a plane and I have to go and dig out my passport. I'm hoping I can find it. <laughs> oh, actually, I better do that tonight in case I can't. I'll have to get expedited one. <laughs> yeah, no, definitely do it tonight. Make sure you know where it is. Um, yes. I, um, I had to do an emergency back to London um, in September last year. And I can't tell you how weird it was going through Sydney Airport. And there was just everything was closed, all uh, the debris was none of the shops are open about three or four of the cafes um were open and you know the departures board is just usually jam-packed yeah. with flight yep six. just six flights that was it yeah no well um very odd. i'll be i'll report back what it's like now with a few more flights on the on the schedule but yeah i'm very excited to be jumping on a plane and i've been doing a bit of domestic flying which has been good for work and uh, and again for waratahs but to actually produce a passport oh my god it's been 15 months i uh, i've not been at home for this long since i was a teenager <laughs> crazy yes. i know nuts but um i'm i'm really interested in how you adjusted to to the you've started a new business you've got all these other interests and you're now not taking care of all your constituents. You know, how, how did you deal with that? Because you you said you're kind of a bit caregiver. Yeah. So uh, when I lost the leadership, that was pretty traumatic because I'd gone from having my diary organised in 15-minute increments to having absolutely nothing in it. And that, for me, was was a real shock because I I had been used to being busy. I had been used to being organised. I'd been used to doing all the things which, you know, I felt were about contributing back to the community. So the first 12 months or the 12 months after losing the leadership, I had to reconnect, spend a lot more time in my community, which was terrific, and I got used to that. But I also got very good at managing my own personal time better. So I was able to give more time to myself and to my family, which was a good thing. So that kind of transitioned me away from the hectic, you know, 16-hour days. So I kind of transitioned away from that. But then what happened was when I left, um, I literally was looking around, um, you know, beyond the job, beyond the, the business, and I really wasn't sure what I was going to do really wasn't sure because you're right I mean I had spent all this time um working with people you know trying to make people's lives better so I was lucky in that or no lucky I always women always say they're lucky and they should never say that I was um asked to go on the board of the Humpty Dumpty Foundation which was the first charity board that I went on because I'd had a relationship with the with the organization when I was a member of parliament because they were providing equipment for the children's ward at North Shore Hospital. So I think I got involved in that. And then, it, and from there, I realised that, you know, I could do a lot of good. I mean, I knew a lot of people. I had a lot of experience, which would be useful to other organisations. And if I had a day job, which paid me, then I could actually do all these things you know, which was what I wanted to do, do them because they were the passion. They were the things that I really wanted to do. So that helped. That certainly helped. I also say the other thing was that um, once I left Parliament, I had a little bit more time to make sure I brought my children up and got them to adulthood safely. 
People always say, what's your greatest achievement? I can say getting two adult, two kids to adulthood, you know, successfully. Well, relatively successfully. <laughs> and that's always a good achievement. because I think so. Many go off the rails because they don't get the love and affection that they need. That's true. And Kerry, you talked, yeah, right at the beginning of the, you talked a little bit about how um, being a leader of the Liberal Party also gave you that opportunity to deal with loss. Yep. It's not something we talk about very often, is it? You know, this concept of it's okay to fail at things and to learn from it. And, and you know, you, you lost quite obviously quite publicly, which is also going to be an extra level. Very, very publicly. <laughs> so Sorry. what... If you, no, 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 that's, that's perfectly true. Um, I started a startup. It was on the front page of the Financial Review and within six months, it completely crumbled and I had to publicly apologise to everybody that had invested. And, yep. you know, it, it's it's not pleasant. So no. you know, what words of advice do you have for women who are taking on perhaps, you know, kind of, perhaps, you know, those first leadership roles like you did yep. and feeling like they're not just doing it themselves. It's almost like, you know, you're, you're you're stepping into a leadership role that effectively earns the right for other women to get into it too. So I always say to people, and you'll you know every every self help book you've ever read will say the same thing, is that you cannot fear failure. Um, there is a very corny uh, card that you see in um, you know in card shops all the time, which says, "Aim for the stars; that you'll at least land on the moon." And that's you know kind of incredibly true because I obviously yep you were right I wanted to be premier and I didn't get there but I ended up as opposition leader um, female opposition leader never happened before in New South Wales so that was an achievement which I can quite rightly I think be proud of I think though I say to people you know if you don't have a go you will never know and I'll give you the example the best example for me um, personally was when they came in and challenged me for the leadership I had uh, the gang of, affectionately called the gang of five. No, hold on, I'm not bitter and twisted. Uh, but the gang of five, they came in to see me and these were th- five of my colleagues and they came in and they gave me three reasons why I should uh, resign the leadership and not take it to a vote. And the first was that we weren't doing that well in the polling, which was completely untrue. And yep, I wasn't doing as well as Bob Carr, no doubt about it. But on the um, two-party preferred, we were actually either neck and neck or marginally ahead. So that was not true. The second one was that the corporate world weren't um, providing enough finance funding towards the Liberal Party. And as I was the only one who knew what the funding was, because I spoke to the state director on a a weekly basis about it, I knew that was also untrue. But the third one, and this is the killer one, the third one was how you how just imagine how embarrassed you're going to be when you don't win the vote at which stage I told them and I I wrote a book and in my book I said I told them get out of my office and I put it that way in the book because I knew my mother would read it but what I actually said was fuck off out of here now I couldn't put that in the book she would have been very upset that I swore but that's what I did but I went home that night and I remember lying in bed and staring at the ceiling going well you know are they right Am I going to be so embarrassed? Are the kids going to be so embarrassed if I lose? And about three o'clock in the morning, I went, no. What would really destroy me would be if I didn't have a go and then I never knew whether I could have won. Better to have actually done it and lose by one vote, not that I'm bitter and twisted, lose by one vote than not to have tried at all. 
because I, I can tell you now, 20 years later pretty well, I would have been lying in bed now going, why the hell didn't I have that go? You know, so. It's one of my, my dad's favourite sayings is no what ifs. Yeah, that would totally. Just, oh, that would just gnaw away at you. Yeah, totally, which is why I had a go and lost my one. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, for me growing up and seeing seeing you on the TV and stuff, you know, it gave me the idea that women could be in these positions of power and, you know, it was, it was quite important, you know, because you didn't see women in roles like that in the 90s. Oh, absolutely right. And, I mean, I, you know, that's one of the other reasons why I was so reluctant to seek help because, to be honest, there was no one I could go and talk to because there was nobody else who was having my experience. You know, and um, I didn't feel comfortable talking to the boys because, well, you know, they were boys and they did things differently. So, so yeah, you're right. It was. And I mean, to be fair, though, that there were a lot of women, a lot of business women who are in the same position. So what I think is better now than was when, when I was there is that there are now people, people like me who've been there, done that, who are more than happy to mentor, to talk to, to encourage both younger women. I do it for both younger women and younger men, to be honest. But to have someone, you know, as I keep saying to some of my friends in politics, you can talk to me about anything. And I do that for people on both sides because I have no agenda. My only agenda is to help you be successful. And I believe that's important uh, from both sides of the house because I think we need good quality people arguing on both sides of the house. So, yeah. Um, but it was hard because I couldn't actually find anyone to do that with. And I was going to ask you on that sides piece and how do we get great people, you know, sort of coming into politics. So I, I work in technology. I meet incredible badass people creating new businesses around the world every day. It's a joy. It's an absolute joy. And I keep thinking every now and again, why can't we get some of these people to become politicians, to become, you know, sort of leaders of, of parties and, you know, I'm sure there's some obvious stuff around the the, no, the notion of politics has now perhaps become you know, a series of sound bites and three-year terms and you get bugger all done. But, you know, how do we get, you know, people who are you know, in their 20s and 30s thinking, I want to be a politician? How do we get them? Well, I think it's the same pretty well, you know, when I was there. You need people of passion. You need people. And it's you know, people think that politicians are there because of the power and, you know, the big white car and the ministerial title. But what people, uh, people who go into politics pretty well have in common is wanting to actually make a difference. Now, I would think that people in the tech industries who are, you know, out there at the, at the forefront of change in terms of how our lives are being lived would be similar in their ambitions. So maybe what we need them to do is go off and make their squillion fortunes, you know, get all their dollars whacked away, and then they can think about putting some, uh, you know, back into the community by putting back in and going and being politicians, putting up their hands and saying, look, I've got all this expertise and experience and passion, and let's do it for a broader community and a younger community maybe, but let's do it in a way in which I as an individual can help the greater good not just me and just not my bottom line on my company. But, I mean, part, part of the thing with the startup focus is how often do they get to have a conversation with somebody like yourself who can tell them this and talk about their experience and that you can help people? Because, I mean, pretty much everybody I know thinks that doesn't think well of politicians. 
know. Yeah, no, that's fair call. When I, I'm just on that point, when I first got elected, I'll never forget it. They, you know how they do those surveys of, um, of professions? Um, so when I, 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 I uh, remember ringing my mother saying, they've just put that annual survey out, Mum. I'm not sure that I picked the right uh, job. And she said, why? And she said, because we came, politicians came third last. The only people we beat were used car salesmen and drug dealers. <laughs> I reckon today people probably trust their drug dealer more than they trust the politicians. That's, that's an interesting conundrum. <laughs> oh, too funny. So, I mean... So- some politicians have decided to go from, you know, a, a state or a federal level to go to local government. It, that never occurred to you? Oh, good God, no. Oh, good God, no. My father was in local government. I used to say he had rocks in his head. No, thank you. Um, I have a very strong view that there's nothing as X as an X. I, I never um, would never tell the Liberal Party what to do. I would never tell the leader what to do. I certainly... I certainly um, offer advice and encouragement where it, where I think it's appropriate. But, yeah, I don't feel the need to go in, particularly into the public arena and tell anybody in the uh, Liberal Party, you know, that they're doing a bad, job or, a bad job or what they should be doing better. So what do you think about some of these former leaders, other former leaders who are making very public statements? Oh, are we referring to Malcolm Turnbull here, maybe? Yeah, totally. Um, Tony. Yeah, but I've got to say in more recent times, Malcolm has been far more vocal than Tony. um, And look, to be honest, I don't want to comment on personalities, but let me just say as a general view, I do think, as I said earlier, um, I was given opportunities that no other woman had been given. Very few people get the opportunity to be Prime Minister of this country. Uh, That only happens because of the party to which they belong elects them leader and then supports them into that role and my very 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 strong belief is that whoever gets there should be grateful for that opportunity and um, shouldn't be thinking that's their business to tear the party down can that be as generic as that (laughs) I think that's beautifully put Carrie I'm going to jump topic slightly because you've you've spoken about your mum sort of at least five or six times in yeah. this short brief conversation. Yeah, has she? Did she? Yeah, sort of have a, a huge influence on who you are as a human being. Or is it something yeah, that as you keep walking through life, you still kind of hear her voice in your head or, or comments that that she's given you over life that still stuck with you? Well, as I said, I'm the eldest of four girls and I always say that my mother and father were the first and best feminists I ever knew. Because you grow up in a household of all girls, there is nothing about boys do this, girls do this. It was um, all, you know, girls can do anything. And in my mother's case in particular, what had happened was my, um, her father, uh, my grandfather had died when my grandmother was probably in her early 40s or something like that. And so she had to look after herself. My grandmother really had to look after herself in a time when women were not expected to work. So she worked pretty well all her life. And in fact, to be fair, they owned pubs and my grandmother ran the pub um, much more so than my grandfather. So my mother had a very strong view that she wanted her girls to be in a position 
to look after themselves. So she encouraged us to, so, you know, I said I wanted to be a politician, but I was a lawyer before that. So she encouraged all of us to find something where if, you know, if push came to shove, and, you know, this is 60s, 70s, where women were still expected to kind of get married and produce children, and that was about the only thing they did. She was very much of the view that we had to be in a position to be able to support ourselves, provide for ourselves and make sure that if we ended up having children that we could provide for them as well so yeah she encouraged that attitude in me and never never blinked never blinked when I told her I was going to be wanted to be a politician she was the first person you know who I spoke to uh, my dad and her were the two people I spoke to as soon as I got pre-selected she was the person handing out out of votes for me she was the person who was making cups of tea when I was out and you know doing all the campaigning she was the person to be fair, who ended up doing tuck shop for me because I was too busy to do tuck shop and the kids wanted tuck shop. And I was always the mother, always the mother with the best cake at the cake store because my mother made it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you have confessed your um, lack of ability in the kitchen. So I'm fairly certain most of your other friends probably would have figured that out as well. I think they did. (laughs) And the kids certainly would have told them. And and so, do you have any last words? Because we're because we're almost at time now. Sure. If you want to share with other women to to guide them or give them some ideas. Well, two things. I think people nowadays, in particular, are more inclined to think about getting mentors. And I think find someone who you trust, someone who you can, you know, you can download to. I mean, you can have that. Oh, I'm sorry, I nearly got over my gin and tonic. Um, how you can, who you can, you know, download to when you do have a bad day, or you don't know what to do, or you don't know what the next step is. So find someone, and mentor is probably too strong a word, but just find someone who you can have those conversations with, because I really think that's really important. I think that's really important because you know you think about it, and I used to always joke about it. The blokes forever did that in the pub. Mm-hmm. they'd be at Friday afternoon drinks while, you know, mum had gone home to look after the kids, but they'd be at Friday afternoon drinks. And whilst they wouldn't download their emotional baggage, because they don't do that, boys, in most instances, but they would talk about the shit time they'd had at the office, you know, and the guy, the, the guy who was their boss who was not, you know, who they thought was a dickhead and wasn't actually appreciating how good they were. So they did, they were doing that forever. I don't think women do that or have had the opportunity to do that. So find someone who you can do that with. That's the first thing. And the second thing is be brave. Seriously, be brave. Yep, I failed, but I learned from that. But as I said earlier, unless you try, you're never, ever going to know. And I remember talking to a group of public service women on one occasion, and they were all um, hesitant to go from the senior level of the public service into the senior executive service because they were you know public service was in um, grades and they wouldn't put up their hand for SES positions and you know I I said to them look you know I know what you're thinking you're thinking that um, if the job says I need a degree then I probably need two if the job says that I need five years experience I probably need 10. I said you're all thinking you're not you're thinking you're not thinking like a bloke and then you're thinking to yourself well, if I go to an, an interview panel, I won't know what to do. And if I don't get the job, then I obviously didn't know what to do. I wasn't good enough. I said, think like a bloke. If you go to an interview as a bloke and you walk in and they walk out and you don't get the job, most blokes will tell you the panel got it wrong. Not that you were bad, but the panel got it wrong. So you need to be brave and you need to be able to, and you need, to, yep, you need to be able to cope with not getting it, but learn from everything you do. I say to people, you know, when you go for job interviews, work out why you didn't get it 
and next time you go address that but you know not going you're never gonna you never never know never get what is that thing you never never know unless you go whatever the advertising campaign was same thing unless you have a go you'll never know and that is a fine note to end on thank you so much for your time tonight Kerry thanks Annie bye everyone thank you pleasure bye